Like if I'm going to practice something, I'd rather practice something. I can't really apply my skills playing Super Mario 3 to anything in real life. Much as I try, it doesn't really, those skills don't translate. So the time that I spend investing in a game to get better at the game, I feel like is a waste of time. Now, if You've I, never had to jump over green pipes? Never once. Well, you know what? You are in. You are in for a surprise, my friend. Because I have green pipes in my front yard. Oh. So when you come visit next, you can practice <laughs> jumping over those green pipes. And then you can say that Super Mario has actually prepared you for something in life. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm taken aback by that. That's great, I think. Yeah. That'll validate all those hours I put into playing those games when I was exactly. younger. Exactly. Right? Yeah. They're now, they've now been beneficial to my life. Look at me now. We interrupt this normally scheduled Opinion and Minion podcast to completely shift gears and uh, <laughs> talk about something out of the blue. So Jeff and I were recording an episode and we decided that, you know what, this this needs a little more time in the oven. It needs a little more, uh, a little more bake time, a little more effort put into it. So while we were just kind of chatting back and forth afterwards, we ended up getting into talking about old games and... I made a comment. He made a comment about Doom. I then made a comment about the Doom versions I had played and not playing any of the new ones. And then that evolved into me saying that old games were better than new games. And then we were like, you know what? We should hit the record button because this is definitely an opinion. And it's definitely one that's probably going to trigger a few people. Probably so. So yeah. let's trigger away. Go ahead. Yeah. So you maintain that old games are much better than new games. You want to put any qualifiers on that? Or you want to put some time periods on that? Um... Well, I mean, I, 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 let's be clear. I'm not talking about the E.T. game for the Atari, because that was clearly one of the worst games ever made in all of human history. I don't think I ever played it. Uh, well, you, good sir, are better off for that. <laughs> okay. Good uh, to know. It, it was abysmal. Okay. Like, honestly, I think that's an insult to the word abysmal. It was that bad. <laughs> like, there is a reason that they buried them in a landfill by, like, hundreds of thousands maybe millions they of couldn't copies sell them, I right? how many it was it was just truly bad I, I i don't have words my words have failed me on how bad it was that's this is a first ladies and gentlemen honestly he's never ever had been a loss of a word never been a loss no of that's not true there's been a few other there's been a few other have times. i been present for those because i don't remember any of them uh maybe maybe not i, I don't know. i don't know it's a, this is such an infrequent occurrence he always has something to say about everything, so he has nothing to say about this. That's how bad it is. Well, I also don't want to just go off on a five-minute tirade of expletives because that's not <laughs> beneficial. And, you know, who's going to listen to me just say curse words for five minutes straight? I don't know. Maybe we should call it rap. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't pull that off. Oh, it's like um, that, uh, that side comment in Parks and Rec. Is this not rap? He's listening to duck calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I postulate that older games are better than newer games. Now, they're, they're not all big de declarative statement of not all. There are new games which are mind blowing. I'm I'm not I'm not saying that there aren't, but I would say on measure, old games are better. Now, the reason I say this, I have a couple I have a couple reasons for this. Mm -hmm. One is 
the truth is expectations were really low. That's true. So, yeah. Like it wasn't hard to meet expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a, a reality of what was possible at the time. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know what was possible. So we saw, for instance, Doom or Warfenstein for the first time. And our minds were just blown that this was possible. Mm-hmm. Now, if you sat a kid down in front of Wolfenstein, they'd probably be like, what the heck is this? Like, is this a wannabe Minecraft? <laughs> Pretty much. And, and no, but you know, it's not. But that's that's what they would think. And actually, they would think Minecraft had better graphics, which is technically true. It's also sad. Especially if they had the RTX Minecraft, which is just another I'm, level I'm floored of, of that oddness. Minecraft has come as far as it has. I, I remember back in the early days, I just trashed the game. Like I never, I've never played it in my life, but I didn't play it on purpose because I, I looked into how it was done and it was done by someone who had very little idea what they were doing and they built a world that was endless. Of course, your server's going to run out of resources and they didn't know what they were doing enough. So if you did run out of resources, the game just crashed or they had module injections. And if you didn't do it just right, the game would just crash. It just crashed over and over and over again. And it crashed badly. It would crash and corrupt save files. It would crash and do all sorts of, like all the bad patterns of badly, poorly programmed games. Minecraft, early Minecraft, did all of them. And so I was like, I'm not touching this thing. So it was only $10. I mean, I thought about it several times because I knew a lot of people were playing it. But I was like, eh. no, I got scruples. And it seems dumb in hindsight, but I just really don't prefer. And first of all, you write a game in Java. That's, that's uh, not a good start. We'll say that. And then you make it wow. endless. Yeah. And then you... Java and endless, two words that should never go in the same Exactly. Just, just, if we were just to pause right there and hover over those two things and realize that the we're not set up for success, starting with those things. So I never got into Minecraft for that reason. And I don't know if you would call that an old game or not. When I think old, I think what you're referring to is like 95 through 2002, kind of old. Yeah. I would I would say that mid to late 90s, I, even some of the early 2000s games, mm-hmm. like, for instance, I would put Alpha Centauri right. in, in that class. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Red Alert. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, Red uh, Alert. I played the heck out yeah. of it as a kid. So that, like, there's a couple things that I, 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 the reason I think, as I said, one, low expectations. Mm-hmm. We didn't have really, really complex expectations. Two was a simplified game mechanic. You could master, so to speak, the game mechanic pretty quickly, however, still be challenged over the length of the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of games today, once you master the mechanic, you're just going through the motions or you're just grinding because there's so much to do and you have so many things that you have to accomplish before you can beat a level or whatever. Now, obviously, the graphics were not the most amazing. Uh, you know, when games were written for like 320 by 240 mm-hmm. way back in the day. Right, yeah. Like there's not much you can do with that. You know, 640 by 480. Yeah, that's how I think I played Wolfenstein all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I played Quake on 320 by 200. That sucked. But that's all mm-hmm. my computer could do. Right. But the interesting thing about those games is if you got like 10 frames per second, you were happy. Mm-hmm. Like that was a great gameplay experience. Yeah. I remember games uh the one game that comes to mind stunt island that i had where you could like fly planes and do cars and you could like set up cameras in the game and like do stunts and record them and like make many like movie segments there were times when i would play that game that i would get maybe two frames a second Mm -hmm. and you know i still had a lot of fun it was still enjoyable Mm -hmm. and i mean it's funny to think that 
there were games back in the day where you would literally rate your graphics at seconds per frame versus <laughs> now, which is frames per second. And you were still happy about the experience that you got and you had fun. Now, let me, Whereas, let me ask something if you tried, Hold on. Okay. If you tried to play Skyrim today at one FPS, no, it's, it's not going to happen. You're not going to have a good time. No, you're not. But you could do that with Wolfenstein. It was, it was a little rough, but you could do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm curious if it's because we had lower expectations back then because we hadn't seen what was coming or because we were much younger. But as, as a child, you don't always know that the thing you're interacting with is of insufficient quality, we'll say. Right. So it could it be through our rose-colored nostalgic glasses that we look back at the games that we played when we were young and we didn't mind the problems with them. I don't remember much of the problems. I don't remember... If I really cast back and think about it, I was playing on a Nintendo console and there was always this one bug in Ninja Gaiden that it would I, used to make me mad. You couldn't get the, the little crow to spawn, so you'd move edge as close as you can. And the second you jumped and you couldn't unjump, the crow spawned and killed you every time. And it just made me so mad and I never figured out how to get past that. I literally stopped the game because of that. It's, I don't know how old I was. But there's stupid things like that, like real major problems in games. And they were persistent. They existed. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I still have fond memories of Ninja Gaiden for some reason. I have to really stop and think about that particular problem. I'm sure I've figured it out at some point or I watched somebody do it or somebody showed me how, but I think my cousin who was really into Nintendo games, he was much better at them than I. And I think I watched him do it. And said, oh, okay. That's what mm -hmm. you're supposed to do. So. So I think, again, I think it had to do with the similar game, the simpler gameplay mechanic. Okay. I mean, there were, like you said, there were definitely bugs. Like I remember one bug with Kid Icarus that just drive me insane. Mm -hmm. And that is your character effectively had a bounding box around it mm -hmm. that if anything interacted with the bounding box, it interacted with your character. Right. Even though the thing didn't hit your character, you were clear of whatever, but it didn't matter because it hit the bounding box. Mm -hmm. Thus it hit your character mm -hmm. because of the way it was coded. But I think because the gameplay was so simplistic that there didn't need to be a lot of flash and bang, so to speak. Whereas using Skyrim as an example of a, of a more modern game and Skyrim at this point is well over a decade old. I think, mm -hmm. think so. Um, so it's not a new game by any sense of the mean and sense of the meaning, but there is so much happening so fast in that game at certain points that if you don't have higher FPS, your gameplay experience will suck because you need that feedback. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Wolfenstein, for instance, as the characters are walking towards you, they only had like four different positions <laughs> that their bodies would go in <laughs> while they're walking. Mm -hmm. So if you saw two or three, you knew, OK, he's walking towards me and he would get slowly bigger. Mm -hmm. So because the, the mechanic was simpler, because the way and obviously it had to be because mm -hmm. uh, computers and coding and all that stuff. You didn't need to have high refresh because it wasn't important. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, that stuff is important. And if you play a game like CSGO, the higher frequency monitor you can get, the better off you are mm -hmm. because of how critical it is for reaction times. Reaction times weren't as important in the past. It was just... I, I don't... No, I see what you're going with this. Uh, and I think that is partly the expectations of the time period. Back when Doom and Doom 2 came out, we were not 
really connected on the internet. So I, I played dial-up multiplayer with friends. Uh, my parents hated it because I would watch online for an hour or an hour and a half while I'm playing a silly game on the computer. But, you know, we dial up and it usually took four or five tries to get the connection to work because it was, you know, challenging. Um, we'll just say that. It was just challenging. But it would work and we would be able to play multiplayer Doom 2 or something. It was a heck of a lot of fun. But the fact that it took 45 minutes to get the game set up to begin with, I would not tolerate that now. Back then, I was okay with it. I just seemed to just go on through these problems. Like, okay, I want to play this game. And almost always, it was a game that I wanted to play that I was willing to put up with a lot of pain for. Actually, the thing that I learned computers on was I wanted to play a baseball game on our old 286. And I literally brute forced my way through DOS to figure out how to run, how to get to the right directory, how to get to the uh, A drive where the floppy was, and how to run the program. I taught myself how to DOS, how to run DOS because I was like, I'm going to play this game. So it seems like I bet a lot of people have these similar experiences. They want to play a game. They're willing to suffer through a lot of things. And in the process, they learn stuff. So but we were willing to, I was willing to go through those growing pains. What, what, what choice did I have? What alternative? It was either I play by myself or we get all this crappy stuff together and we play together. And it's a heck of a lot more fun. It wasn't really until I was in high school era where multiplayer gaming became more common but we were all running around with with the dial-up modems and everybody had 250 or 300 millisecond ping can you imagine playing a modern game now with 300 millisecond ping no just yeah. no, no one would do not that gonna happen you'd get kicked off the server immediately you're slowing the server down you know that kind of thing you used to call them high ping bastards yeah i mean i remember wanting to do network you know, games with other people and just going, okay, this is not going to happen over, mm -hmm. over the internet. Like, it's just not. So we would get together, lug a system to a friend's house and actually physically link the two computers together. Yep. Like, that's how I used to play Warcraft 2 with friends. Yep, exactly. Um, and not, to be clear for anyone who's listening, not World of Warcraft. I'm talking Warcraft, Warcraft 2, 2, Tides of Darkness. Oh, I loved that like, game. Direct link between the computers playing each other. The, the other thing that comes to mind is that a lot of older games, and this is going to sound weird to say, but just hear me out, were more interactive than modern games. Hmm. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you actually had to kind of fill in details in your brain for the game. Hmm. Because there was a limitation on what the game could actually do. Okay. There would be, like, Commander Keen. You'd be playing as Keen, you'd be doing the levels, and then there would be kind of like interstitials that would then explain the narrative of the game. Mm -hmm. And you would read that, and you, because it would, couldn't be shown, you, you kind of imagined it. So it's a book versus the, the a movie gameplay, kind of thing. Then. Yeah, the gameplay was interspersed within that. So you actually had to be more engaged with the game. Mm. Whereas... If you take a later game that, that did something similar, which was another game that I absolutely love, which was Wing Commander, you had those insert movie scenes in between different phases of, of gameplay. But it was just that. It was kind of like a movie that you just sat and watched. There was not any real engagement. It's just you're looking at stuff happen. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, I found that there are people online on YouTube that have actually cut all of the footage out of those Wing Commander games <laughs> and made mini movies of all the footage so you can watch the game and, like, get the plot line of the entire game in, like, 45 minutes, which is just amazing. That is cool. 
and the reason I'm, I'm coming up with this interactive thing is because I just went back and watched some of these mm -hmm. and I'm like, holy crap, there was like a lot more storyline in there that I never got before. Mm -hmm. Because previously, I, I was just, that interstitial movie, so to speak, was just, okay, I need to get to the next part of the game. Mm -hmm. There was no engagement. Whereas the older games that had the same thing, but were limited by the technology of the day, you had to read and imagine it. So it became, you, you kind of felt more a part of the game. Whereas games nowadays, everything is in the game itself. Mm -hmm. All of the, the plot lines, all of those things. You take the Fallout series. Mm -hmm. You know, there's those many segments in between that you're interacting with, kind of, by just, you know, hitting one of the four options that you have in a big dialogue tree. Right, yeah. That the outcome is usually always the same. Mostly, yeah. But if you want to, you could save it early and just kind of see all the different dialogue expectations yeah. or something but it really doesn't have much but impact realistically on the story. It, it doesn't have any impact you're just trying to get through that to get to the next part of the game and again it just kind of happens and you don't actually need to engage with it mm -hmm. because again the outcome is pretty much going to be the same there's like three major choices that you make which is effectively which faction you're going to side with and mm -hmm. then you just follow the path that's laid out for you right yeah so i think there's some degree of i must admit i'm biased when i go back and look at the games that i played but the games I did not play growing up, I have no opinion on, of course, because I didn't play them. But it seems like there were so few games in 1995 or 1998. There was a you know, kind of explosion of games. And because there were so few games, the games that were being built, like the, the AAA rated games or, or those high credential games, like, like id Software kind of games or uh, when Half-Life burst on the scene, a lot of other games were built using those engines and making mods on top of them because instead of having to do all the hard work to try and build your own game engine, you could use theirs and create cohesive stories or, or fun stuff. And Counter-Strike started off as a, as a mod to Half-Life and became so wildly popular that they made it its own game. And then it got its own binary even. I think it's still based on Half-Life engine somewhere, but it's heavily modified. CSGO is. And I really didn't play much CSGO, but I played the heck out of Counter-Strike back in the day. I was playing it back in the beta days before it actually got 1.0. And it was a lot of fun then. It was just an add-on to Half-Life. But we only had... There were thousands of games out there, but most of them were crap. So you weren't going to play them. You weren't going to bother spending money on crap games. You were not going to walk into Fry's and just pick a game off the shelf and play it because I only had a certain amount of money and I wasn't going to waste it on that. You know, And my mom really didn't care for my gaming, so I wasn't really going to go buy a lot of games anyway. So I think uh, there's some... I must acknowledge there's some bias in the time period and um, the publishing repertoire, we'll say, of that era. There was only like 10 really major games in 1997 or 98 that we were all playing. Red Alert, you know, one or two. StarCraft, I think it landed by then. Maybe not. StarCraft was, what, 98, 99? Somewhere around there? I don't recall off the top of my head. Okay, somewhere around there. I, did, I didn't play it because I just saw it and went, oh, that's a skin on top of Warcraft. No, it's much more than that. Much better than that. But that, like, that's the way I took it. Right. It was, it was one of the first games I can remember where it was you had three factions that were actually relatively balanced. And that was the thing. It was enough complexity in the game. Like, okay, Warcraft 2, you knew pretty much, you know, the other guy was orc, you're human. You know what the orc guy is probably going to do, and he knows what you're going to do, and you just kind of figure it out. But with StarCraft, there was enough complexity, and it's one of the reasons that I think people love it so much, 
enough complexity that you can continue to build new strategies. Even now, the people are still playing StarCraft competitively and they're still- Which, which you know, is amazing. New strategies coming out. That says to me, can you imagine people playing, I don't know, what's a game that came out recently? Um, there's always a new Assassin's Creed coming out. I don't think people are going to be playing Assassin's Creed whatever, Valhalla, I think is the most recent one, in 20 years. Maybe, probably not. It doesn't seem to me like it's going to have the, the sticking appeal, first of all, because it's kind of this periodic thing. I know it's a new story, new universe, but it's all same universe, new story, new era, but it's the same game. They're making money every year by releasing the same game over and over again. That, it's, a, it's a money thing for them. They're not going to survive, but people are still playing StarCraft. So what separates the two? What is it that was enduring about StarCraft that we continue to play it? So I would, I would say again, simple game mechanic mm -hmm. that even after you master, like there's still a challenge. There's, it's not just grinding through a game right. because of how long the storyline is. Okay. You know, and I think that also these days, whether or not a game has uh, longevity depends on either its replayability, which a game like Skyrim definitely has. Mm -hmm. You can play that game 14 different ways, you know, and then still have 1,400 different ways to play it after that. Right. And the ability to extend the game through mods, which obviously a game like Skyrim mm -hmm. also has. Right. So that type of thing these days keeps the culture going. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm amazed that there are people who are still creating mods for Fallout 3. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's still active development for Fallout 3. That's crazy. Some of the 4K mods that are out now are amazing. Wow. And it's like, you guys have actually retextured the whole game. Mm -hmm. They've done that for high-resolution assets. The half yeah. of Black Mesa, I believe, is, is a complete redo. Last I checked into it a couple of years ago, they had everything up till you go into Zen, which is the, the alien world. And they couldn't do Zen at the time because they were saying, well, we have all the textures and everything, but the, the particle effects required to duplicate what they were doing in the old engine, they're so high that we don't have the processing power really to do it. So, uh, but they have done, they have reskinned the entire thing and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's modern. It was modern standards that's coming out and it was entirely fan done. You know, I don't think it was for pay. Now, Valve was cool about it and they actually embraced it. I said, this is really cool. Here, we'll give you a little support. They put it, it's an official Steam game now. You'd think Valve would be kind of pissed off. Like, hey, you're taking all of our content, not just the game engine, which we can kind of tacitly letting you play with, but you're taking our content and redoing it. But it's kind of like a clean room re-implementation. Re they didn't see what the original, or maybe they did. It's looking at the graphics and going, okay, in order to make that scene, I'm going to need to paint this in the background here, or I need this texture or whatever. You just recreate your own stuff. They can't really technically tell you not to. But I, I, these games, these enduring games, they last well, forever. If they're CBS and it's about Star Trek. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Then yes, they can. You're right. You're right. But I think that's that's the difference is Valve actually understands the concept of mm -hmm. building a community that has loyalty to a product. Mm -hmm. And that that is maybe not in the short term financially profitable, but in the long term, it definitely is. Mm -hmm. So here's an interesting thing. I think if you and I were to go back and start from our early game playing and pick out all the games that were really meaningful to us, we would come up with a very similar list. And that says to me that certain games were bubbling to the top. And then we could figure out, why does that not happen today? How would that be? Or would that be kind of like a bridge too far, like too much? 
What do you mean? Like, so if we spend all this time trying to identify all these games that we liked and then find the commonalities among them, you've already identified one of the major commonalities, you know, the mechanic that is challenging ultimately the game. Mm -hmm. But it seems there's more to it than that. Like for me, Half-Life was the first game that I knew of where the entire story was told and you were always first person. There was no cutscenes where you were not looking out the portal of the player or the, the, the character that you were representing. Everything was you. Well, couldn't the same be said for Doom and Wolfenstein? Um, but I don't really... That's first person. Yes. You? Yes, it was. But I don't know that there was a, like a compelling story there. Not so much. Well, I, I, I disagree. I was filling in the gaps. I had, I had the extended levels of Wolfenstein. And I will have you know that killing Mecha Hitler was very challenging. <laughs> and dealing with the Nazi zombies mm -hmm. was very, very difficult trying to find my way around those catacombs so okay i won't dispute that okay but it's there was like, a lot of depth there okay but we filled Mecha the lore Hitler. in come on now we, we filled the lore in on that it was a novel it was a book right so you were given some skeleton like commander keen i never really thought of him as a space guy but technically he's going through like space but to me it was just mm -hmm. a bunch of levels you know so i had fun with the levels i didn't really get much into the lore Doom 2 was kind of the same way for me. I liked, it was kind of terrifying if you stop and think about what is it I'm doing? I'm going through levels of hell where demons are like, all the time they'd have like in the corner of the room, they'd have some decapitated human or something. It was it's horrifying. I was just, I just filtered it out, I guess. I don't know, because it really, I wasn't there for the lore. But later games, lore started to matter. Story started to matter. Wait, hold on, hold on. Wasn't the original Doom, didn't it start on Mars? Yes. And there's always been okay. a Mars element coming through the Doom story. Like, okay. uh, the Doom 3 started on Mars. Doom, the reboot here in 2016, started on Mars. I'm pretty sure the original, like the original I believe you're Doom, right. Like, before Doom, it wasn't even Doom 1, it was just Doom. Just Doom, yeah. Was. Just Doom. Yeah. And then Doom 2 was Hell on Earth. It was much more of a hell right. theme. Yeah. Right. A lot of the monsters from Doom returned in Doom 2. It was kind of like the story was crystallized a little bit more in Doom 2, perhaps. But the elements of it were still in Doom. But I, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm biased because I played Doom 2 more than Doom. And uh, I, I played the first, the, the shareware nine episodes of Wolfenstein, but I did not have the full thing. So uh, I didn't really go farther than that. But I enjoyed the heck out of those, those, nine episodes, those nine levels, that first episode. I played it on the 286, which got a frame rate of about two and a half. And one of the things also about Wolfenstein, to, to save some, some time, because a lot of the, the really core stuff was written in assembly for, for speed. The amount you could turn your character was locked to how many frames a second you were rendering. So the fact that I was only rendering like two frames a second meant I would turn in like 45 degree increments. So I was never quite aiming at the guys, but the game just kind of squeezed it and made it work. And I thought that was cool, but it was, you know, kind of a limitation of we can't really do all the calculations on this. We don't have the processor for it. We're busy doing too many other things. This was on a 286, an 8 megahertz 286, and I was playing this game. It worked. But when we got to 486 in the filming, boy, that game was smooth. It was great. I, I played it a lot. And yeah, I played all the Dooms and, and Early Heretic and all that stuff. I played it on the 486. It was all great. Then Quake, Quake arrived, and it didn't work so well on the 486. Quake, I, th I think I've alluded to this in an earlier episode. Quake is the reason I built my first computer. Yeah, I think you did mention mm -hmm. that before. And I, there's a lot of reasons to want to build a computer. I was interested in it. 
I wanted to tinker with an, with a computer on my own. I wanted to, I didn't want to tinker in such a way that I was going to mess up the family computer. So having my own computer made a lot of sense, especially since I was very deep into computers in general. And I was just starting to figure out what I wanted to do with computers and what I wanted to do. And then Linux showed up. So it was very good. I was not going to be able to install Linux on the family computer. So it was very good that I had my own computer to play around with. But I got it originally because of Quake, because I could not play Quake on the 46. And uh, I was okay with those games being simplistic. Like you said, the, the mechanics were, were challenging enough that I, it still, you had all the weapons in Quake early on in the game, but it didn't matter because it was so, the monsters were so aggressive and they were intelligent enough they could get around you. Like I, that was a big major leap forward in games when the monsters could get around behind you and it was no longer just like jump scare kind of stuff because that's all they could render. Like but in Wolfenstein, those guys, they moved so slow. They like trotted around a corner and you were just waiting there with your chain gun. Like, okay, here we go. He's coming around the corner. He's done, you know, or three of them slowly one by one, they come around the corner. It's amazing that we were able to do pathing at all, frankly, because you're rendering this on a 286 while you're doing everything else. And they're still doing pathing, which is truly incredible. I don't know how they did it. It's, it was, it's remarkable. And now it's, it's frustrating to me. I think this is part of why I don't like modern games as much. I look at them and say, you have all the benefits of all this processing power. Look at that massive GPU I'm giving you. And this is what you give us. This crap. You know? Uh, a lot well, of I, think, I think the stuff we're talking about isn't GPU-based. It's still going to be running on the CPU, which is the main... Like, the GPU is just doing the graphics. The actual computational stuff for how the characters move, I'm guessing, is still being done on the CPU. I would expect yeah. I mean, maybe not. Yeah, uh, I, I could be know. wrong. Mo we know the graphics have been done in the GPU, but I imagine there's probably some other stuff, uh, maybe some pathing decisions or some some AI decisions or something. AI in the sense of what the game is deciding to do, not AI in the modern sense, you know. The ga game decisions, game monster decisions, we'll say. Some of that may be farmed out to the GPU, small jobs or small calculations, but uh, you know, it really only works if you've got massively parallel calculations, right? But it seems like... Uh, it's very frustrating. This is a problem. I have a love-hate relationship with Bethesda games because they're bug fests. They arrive, and it's a year and a half or two years before they're actually stable enough to play. It's so frustrating. You get in, you start playing this game, and it's beautiful. Skyrim was beautiful, but it really took a while before Skyrim was playable without a ton of bugs. So there's there's a lot there that we could unpack. Uh, Do you want to? Dealing with... Well, I don't... So because this is going out and will be on the internet forever, I don't feel like I should explain all the things that have been explained to me by a friend of mine who works for uh, Bethesda and Zenimax. Okay, then don't. Yeah, you should. works on the engine and deals with that mm -hmm. because I have heard nightmare scenarios from him um, about the way that they are doing development, which is why you end up with bugs that are fixed then are reintroduced in the next game. Right, yeah. Even though it's the same engine. Now, apparently, uh, uh, Elder Scrolls Online uses a different engine. Um, I don't know what they're doing for... I think Fallout 76 is still the old engine. I believe so. Last year, they went on a hiring spree for a brand new title that is completely fresh. Mm. Um, so, don't new know IP. when that's... Wow. Yeah, that's going to be probably six to eight years until it actually manifests. Mm. So I, they could be doing, again, since I have no idea what the game is about, mm -hmm. that could 
not be able to use the engine that they're using. It might need something we'll new. See. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Um, so in six to eight years, we'll we'll check back and see I how, guess so. yeah. how wrong I was. No. How about that? Okay. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, Skyrim was an amazing game. Mm -hmm. I, I still play Skyrim today. It's one of the newest games that I play, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Because that game came out in 2011. It's yeah. coming up on 10 years old. I looked but it up earlier. Because it has so much replayability. Mm -hmm. It does. And I think it's, all the games that we keep coming back to, they all have the same thing. They have a lot of replayability. There's, a lot, there's enough yeah. variability. There's enough beauty, especially open worlds. You can go in any direction. You can do anything you want at any time. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you do this thing, you're not ready for it, and it will kick your butt, and you better back out and go do something else for a while and come back. But generally, you can do anything you want. Like, I've played through the Elder Scrolls 4, put the heck out of two or three characters, and I played Skyrim two or three characters. I always seem to end up with some kind of stealthy ranged character. I don't know why or how that happens, but every single character I make I always ends up shooting people from a distance with a bow. I don't know why. So that's what I try. I always try to do that. But then I just end up being a character that wields two swords and just goes in their face. The and, yeah, yeah. Because you get so powerful, yeah. you're like, oh, like I, I, I'm one of those that does all the non-main storyline stuff first. You know, I would, I had conquered all four guilds. I had done everything here and there and everywhere. And I go through the main storyline, and I'm like, yawn. This is really easy. But <laughs> right. then I've conquered everything else in the game, right? So that's just, I guess, how I was approaching it. I think it's just how I tend to do those games. And they know that when they're building these games now, they know there are people that just want achievables. Or they just want other experiences. Like all the Assassin's Creed games. They're all open world. Well, the first one was kind of open world. You had, you had small open worlds in the towns and you had like an outer world. There wasn't much to do. But since then, almost every Assassin's Creed has been open world. And within the worlds, there was a lot of experiences you could do, but roughly in, in order, any order... And you could choose to do the main missions if you wanted or not, you know. And all the Assassin's Creed games have been that way. All the Far Cry games have been that way. All the, uh, oh, what's another one? Yeah, all the Far Cry games, that's one that comes to mind. Those are, those are sister series. They use the same mm -hmm. engine, I think. They had a successful formula and haven't really changed it. Now, I actually like the formula because a lot of times when I want a game, what I want is something to take my brain away from it all so i don't mind wandering around in a very large very pretty open world you know other times i want to achieve something and then i go play something hard like the modern doom games 2016 or doom eternal which is actually what started this whole conversation those games to me feel like the games of old they have mechanics which are easy to master are easy to understand but hard to master and even harder to apply especially for playing on any level of difficulty above normal and that's one of the things that I really find endearing about them. You, you cannot, like, an Assassin's Creed game is not challenging. It is not difficult to make your way through any of the missions. It's time-consuming more than anything. But that's what I'm looking for when I play them. Doom, you end up doing the same section of the level over and over again. You get mad, you kind of rage quit for a while, because this one demon keeps popping up behind you, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it happens to wait until you're done. And then it appears right behind you when you're mostly dead. You've just polished everything off and it just boop and done. And that's the kind of stupid Nintendo hard gameplay that's in Doom. And it's not very fun sometimes, but I just, I keep coming back to it. There's something captivating about mm -hmm. it. I, I can get better at these mechanics. I can be better at moving. Don't stand still. All these things that it's trying to teach you to do. If I can just be better, if I practice, practicing a video game, I've never been comfortable with that. But if I practice this game a little bit, I wouldn't do it much more. 
The practice is fun. The playing is fun. The achieving is fun. I've played through the story for Doom 2016 like five or six times. The story has not changed, but I still love it. And the, the levels are very linear. It's not open world like Skyrim. It's not open world like any of the Grand Theft Auto games or, or Red Dead Redemption, which was beloved by many people. Oh, that's another one I would put in that category of a modern game, which has, a, has the similar appeal to what I feel like from the old games that we love and respect the most. But then, okay, so maybe it's fair to say certain companies are able to put out games which usually get close to that mark for what I think of as the best old games. All the GTAs for me, from GTA 3 on, have that feel. All the early Bungie games from Halo, or all the Halo games from Bungie before it got taken over by Microsoft Studios. They feel that way. The story is great. The lore is great. And the, the levels were pretty linear, but they were just, I played them endlessly over and over and over again. I play them in favor of a new game, even. And I don't know if that's just I'm, I'm wanting, I don't want to waste my time, so I'm low to go get a new game, perhaps. But there's just something about these experiences, and you can't, it's very difficult to capture. It takes a lot of effort to capture, and a lot of video game companies either can't or don't want to spend the effort to capture whatever it is that it takes to do that. And it's, you know, the market is very large. Many people are playing video games today. So you don't even need to... You don't need a billion-dollar release to make quite a lot of money if you want. Now, maybe someone who's in the video game business will disagree and say, like, if you don't have a AAA title, you're not making money because the expectations of games now are so high that you can't, you can't make a game cheaply anymore because all the well, games have... that's clearly not true because there's a ton of indie <laughs> games which have made a ton exactly. of money. Yes. And again, what are they doing it based on? Simple gameplay mechanic, mm -hmm. engaging graphics, even though they're not crazy, right. but and a, a plot storyline that you kind of you kind of like you kind of mm -hmm. like to just follow and go with. Like arcade style games on consoles are hugely popular. Arcade mm -hmm. style games on phones are hugely popular. I don't think there's a lot of AAA titles on on phones. There's been attempts to, but there's been crossovers. I know there's like an Assassin's Creed game for a phone. There's an Assassin's Creed game for the PS Vita. There's one for, maybe there's one for the 3DS or something, you know? And they're, that's actually kind of annoying because they'll have an entirely different storyline. And the only way to get to that is to go get that, that game console or that game handheld and buy that game. Mm -hmm. I'm not buying an entire handheld just to get that part of the lore. I'll just read about it on Wikipedia. It's fine. You know, but I, I miss that. And it's kind of cynically like they're, they want you to go and get into another platform or something. I don't know. It's just, that's very frustrating. So, we've, we've gotten pretty far into this conversation, yeah. but we, one thing we haven't touched on is the type of game. Okay. Um, so I think that's kind of an important, uh, important, that's not a word, important. <laughs> um, it is now. Yeah, it is now. Uh, I'm never going to live that down. Yeah, lexicon of, of the open opinion dominion. Yeah. Uh, it's an important point because obviously certain types of games that have a certain aspect or are in a certain genre mm -hmm. uh, lend differently to the things we're talking about. Right. For instance, like I absolutely love what would generally get classified as RTS games mm -hmm. or you know turn-based mm -hmm. um, because I kind of put those in the same category, like SimCity. Uh, we already talked about um, Warcraft 2, mm -hmm. um, Red Alert, Alpha Centauri, Star Trek Armada 2. Uh, newer versions of that that I like are Spore, Sins of the Solar Empire, 
Anno, and I've actually gotten in recently into a new game called Northgard, hmm. um, which is kind of a fun little simple game. But they're all kind of that real-time turn-based strategy game, mm-hmm. which in in some simplistic ways are a reskin on the same gameplay mechanics. Yes. There, there is some evolution that can be done there. Mm-hmm. But some games go way too far with like tech trees and what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And other games go way too far into that. You spend all your time just grinding all the time mm-hmm. and not actually engaging and doing anything to advance yourself other than just grinding. And that's completely different than like FPS games, which would be like, you know, the Doom games, the Wolfenstein games, mm-hmm. uh, Skyrim, Fallout, a.k.a. Skyrim with guns. It's the same so, engine. Uh, wh- yeah, it is. So which of those do you or and there's other game types as well mm-hmm. that I didn't mention, but where do you fall in with what you prefer to play? I have always been a fan of stealth games. I like the idea of creeping through and silently taking something out. So that's why I refer to the Assassin's Creed games, because it's all stealthy based. Maybe you need to seek therapy. Why? Because you 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 enjoy silently creeping around and taking people out. I'm not sure what that says about you, Jeff. It just said uh, I like the mechanics of it. It's not that I want to do it in real life. Okay. You know, but that kind of anything like that. So the Batman Arkham City series or whatever, that, that you know, trilogy of games I like the heck out of. You know, the lore, that was great because you're playing in the lore of something, a universe that's well established. And it was mm-hmm. pretty fun. I was exploring the universe. I felt like I've never really been into comics, but this is the closest I ever came to like really enjoying a comic book world was playing those games but it was because it was stealthy you know batman is stealthy he sits in the shadows back in the late 90s or the 2000s i played a series of games called tenshu which is stealth assassins i've always been a fan of those games and i like some of the real-time strategy games too but i find i get a little overwhelmed by them sometimes i'm not very good at them i think mm-hmm. it's still fun to play starcraft and get my butt handed to me by friends i still to this day sometimes you know hang out with somebody we'll just fire up an old copy of starcraft the other kind of game that I really like are the loot drop kind of games. Diablo, Diablo 2, Diablo 3. I've played all those. I played Borderlands. Those are the ones I keep coming to. Now those, there's a lot of loot drop kind of games, but those particular games are loot drop with excellent story and lots of replayability. Now, technically, I played Diablo 2 multiplayer a lot, and you're just going through the whole game, the whole storyline three times, effectively. You go you know, the normal level, then the nightmare level, and then... Un, uh, whatever the third difficulty is. And it's the same game, the same levels, the same monsters, the same everything, but the compulsion is to find better stuff. And that's kind of a fun cycle to get caught up into, as long as you don't get too obsessive into it. It's beating some kind of dopamine hit into me every time I find something. And it's it's a similar thing, mechanic to what you see in modern phone games, where they're like, oh, you you scored a coin, or... Look at you. You can go share on, on social media that you solved this puzzle or something. Or look at your garden. I don't know. There's a lot of those similar things. Those don't really work for me, but the, the loot drop kind of games do. But not all of them. So I guess it's, it's got to have a good story. And it's got to be beating some mechanic that I like the most. Okay, the, I guess I'm leaving out also classic uh, first-person shooters. I played all the Doom, the Doom 2. Quake, all the Quakes I've played, all the Dooms I've played, pretty much anything that it has put out, I've played. And they don't put out a lot of titles. They, I think they make a lot of their money from licensing the engine and just basically being game development badasses in general. 
Hopefully they make money on QuakeCon every year. That's, that's another strange thing. I'm from Dallas. I've never once been to QuakeCon. And it's been going on for like 20 hmm. years. It, it's, it always happens in a time of the year where it's blazing hot and something is happening. And so I'm never really able to go. I don't know why. It just never happens. It seems like I should have gone. I've, I've missed the glory years by now, like the, you know, the early 2000s, because it's one of the largest land games in existence for a couple of days there. And there's just something about being in a throng of people all playing similar games together. It's just like there's something about it that I've talked to people that have been, and it's difficult to describe. But I don't really do the whole throng thing, I guess. So those those uh, that's a long-winded way of saying those three styles of games. Uh, but there's a commonality in all of them that they have strong storyline. Without a strong storyline, okay. then I'm not really interested that much. To be honest. Okay. So the follow-up question that I have is. Why do you play games? Like, what do you hope to get out of it? Do you play for just fun and enjoyment? Or do you play to be challenged? Because I find that when I talk to people, this seems to be a very strong division, mm -hmm. where some people want a game to be extraordinarily challenging. Other people just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. I fall into that category. I just want to have fun with a game, not be challenged, because... Well, I have life if I want to be challenged. Gaming is how I want to escape life. Right. Uh, where do you fall on that? It's both for me. So historically, okay. I I don't like multiplayer games because I don't have a good reaction time. And I don't like, like I said earlier, the idea of practicing a game is kind of not comfortable to me. Like if I'm going to mm -hmm. practice something, I'd rather practice something I can't really apply my skills playing Super Mario 3 to anything in real life. Much as I try, it doesn't really, those skills don't translate. So the time that I spend investing in a game to get better at the game, I feel like is a waste of time. Now, if You've I, never had to jump over green pipes? Never once. Well, you know what? You are in. You are in for a surprise, my friend. Because I have green pipes in my front yard. Oh, so when you come visit next, you can practice <laughs> jumping over those green pipes. And then you can say that Super Mario has actually prepared you for something in life. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm taken aback by that. That's great, I think. Yeah. That'll validate all those hours I put into playing those games when I was exactly. younger. Exactly. Right? Yeah. They're now, they've now been beneficial to my life. Look at me now. No, but uh, I just feel bad spending time in a game to get better at a game. A game for me should be enjoyable. But sometimes I want a challenge. There are some games. I played the heck out of Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2. Uh, no, the, the reboots. Uh, not so much Ninja Gaiden 1, but Ninja Gaiden 2, I did. Endlessly. And it's one of the only games that I've never beaten. And it sticks in my craw that I haven't done it. Like, I'd still to this day, I have this desire to go back and, and pull it out and go work through it and get better at it and beat it. There's only like, I don't know how many people have played the game, but there's like 20,000 people that have ever beat it on the hardest difficulty, that's it. Like millions of people have played it and 20,000 have conquered it. It's rarefied air. It's maybe that figure's gone up since I was playing it before, but it was, it was an achievement for you to make it all the way through. It was so stupidly hard. And it wasn't like, there were, there were certainly areas of the game where it was like cheesing you, like spawning a monster behind you or doing everything unfair possible. But they always gave you some way to get around it. You just had to figure it out. You had to practice this situation or practice that situation or practice this boss move or whatever. Practice, 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 and you can get better at it. And that's why it never really worked for me because I don't want to practice a game. 
but uh, for me, I want to I want to enjoy it. So that's the loot drop games. Are just I'm I'm happily going through the game. It's not very hard. If you die, you don't lose much. Go back, and you're always like, ooh, a new gun. Borderland. Ooh, look at that gun. Ooh, look at that rocket launcher. Ooh, that's the fun. So for me, or or applying to modern Assassin's Creed games, none of the missions are hard. Ooh, that's interesting. Ooh, that's a neat experience. Ooh, it's not hard. So for me, most of what I do these days is that I'm looking for something to take the edge off from having worked really hard, and I just want something to, to relax from. So I don't want a challenge. But then there are times when I'm really looking for it. And that's when I go play one of these Ninja Gaiden 2s or, or Doom, the more recent Doom games, because those are very challenging when you turn the difficulty up. Extremely challenging and extremely fun. So, so speaking of challenging, mm-hmm. and the one game that kind of is the diversion for me away from the I want to have fun and not be challenged, is the Myst series. Mm. Did you ever play them? And if so, what were your thoughts on oh, them? Oh, yes, we did. Um, gosh, we played it when it first came out. And I, I adored the story. I think I alluded to in, in an earlier episode that we had pl- we were playing it on the 46 and only had a 1X CD-ROM and it was not fast enough to play the videos. We actually had to go get a faster CD-ROM to play the game. We did, because we liked it so much. My family, we played it. My dad played There's it. There's actually a I documentary ab- about Myst, and they talk about the challenge that they had trying to get the assets onto a CD mm. to load fast enough for people to be able to play. Right. That's actually like a key problem in the development mm-hmm. of that game was... How can we actually make this work mm-hmm. technically because of the amount of data that we need to push? So I like the games. I love the lore. I like the real mist, especially when you got through it all and you figured all the puzzles out and you got in and you got, you figured out the end and depending on the decisions you make at the end are pretty incredible. But like the idea that you're writing worlds, you're writing a book and it becomes real life. I loved that as a kid. And I knew people that were, took it to heart. Like I'm going to become a writer because I'm, I want to be like mist. I'm going to write worlds that come alive metaphorically but the, the concept is great i played mist a lot i played a lot of riven i don't think i ever beat riven because riven was harder and it required you to remember a lot of things or get them just right and yeah i had to take a lot of notes in riven and there's there's one part that i just i could not get past that stupid marble thing oh gosh that i swear puzzle. i swear there's no way you can logically come to that you just conclusion kind of guess. How you're it's like it's like a you either have to grid. guess or someone else has to be like so here's what you do, which is how I eventually got past mm-hmm. it, because I spent like weeks on it. And I'm like, there's there, no, mm-hmm. like, am I just going to have to do brute forcing and check every possibility? But the point at which you start and, grinding in a game is the point at which I stop. I do. Right. I won't grind. My, my time is worth too much for that. So that's why all these free to play games where you can pay to mo- get money a- to get ahead. I don't like paying money, but you know, if it's a free game, then. If it saves me from grinding 40 hours and I really want the thing I'm paying for, I'll, put, I'll give them $10 for that. I don't mind that because I'm not going to grind. I just won't do it. Game developers, ooh, you're the type of person that they love. I guess. I'm not going to spend hundreds of dollars. I'm going to spend $10. Well, that's what everybody 20. says when they first get started. And then, you know, it's, it's 10 here and there, and then it's, then it's 20. Well, the ga- so the game I can think of, the free-to-play game that I actually spent a, a fair amount of money on was Planet Side 2. But I, I was targeted in how I spent it, so they would Early on in that game's existence, they would have drives where they were doing double double redemption or triple redemption. So I would go to Walmart and buy Planet Side 2 game cards, like buy four or five at $15 a pop. And the Walmart cards would come with an extra 30% or something. So right there, I'm getting more for my money. And then you put them in a double or triple value weekends, and then that multiplies it a lot. So for me, I was okay with that because I played the game all the time 
and I was getting a lot of value for my money, you know? So like, like when I was playing EVE Online for a while, I didn't mind spending a little bit of money on those Plex and then converting that to in-game ISK because I was not going to spend a month grinding for a ship just to have it blown up the second I go fly it somewhere. You know, I just, my time is worth more than that. Yeah, those those microtransaction games, I, I hate that crap because that's just straight Skinner Box manipulation. Yeah, yeah, it is. It um, is. Which I just, I, it's grimy. But but to to get off of that, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of things about games today that is different from back then. Mm-hmm. This whole microtransaction is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's definitely the game is effectively just a vehicle to then push forward microtransactions in some. Yes, the game itself doesn't matter. It's just, well, if we can get enough of this hook and then we can get these microtransactions started, they'll get the dopamine hit Mm -hmm. from doing this, Mm -hmm. from spending the money to then getting enough of the thing, whatever it happens to be, so that they can beat the challenge or whatever. And then they get their dopamine hits. They're more likely to do it again Mm -hmm. instead of actually developing a good game. That's enjoyable and engaging. Mm -hmm. Obviously, games like that don't have longevity because it's literally just your crack dealer. Um, <laughs> it's it's tied it's to online, so at some point that game is going to stop working. Mm-hmm. Which I do not like online games because of that fact. Mm-hmm. When I buy a game, I want to be able to play it forever. Yeah. Like for instance, Alpha Centauri. I paid for that game once. I still play it today. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously. Uh, the whatever company published it, it was the Sid Meier um, was one of his games. But whatever company published it, you know, I have definitely gotten my money's worth mm-hmm. out of that game. Um, which you know, because I I bought it once and I did buy the expansion pack. But I understand why companies don't want to do that because it's a single purchase. Mm-hmm. I think DLC is an acceptable alternative, but I know that that rubs some people the wrong mm-hmm. way, uh, especially so. Like all, all the Assassin's Creed games, the modern ones, have extensive DLCs. And it's a very modern pattern now to publish a game and then you have a season's pass for all the DLC that's going to be coming out with the expectation. It seems like the general value structure is you pay $30 for a season's pass or you can pay $10 four times for the four DLCs that are going to come. That seems to be the pretty typical pattern. So it makes sense when you're buying, especially if you can get there some discount on the season's pass or they'll, they'll tend to do like the gold version of the game which comes with the season pass. And so what I'll do, if I'm going to buy one of those, I'll wait for the, the game to become, the gold version of the game to become discounted. Then I'm effectively getting the entire season's pass for free. And then I don't feel bad about that. Some of the best stuff, I can remember I bought some DLC for Elder Scrolls 4 purely because there were some items that I wanted to build my character out of. And I needed the, the, some, some, some assassin, uh, assassin Guild add-on, I think that I was desperate to get because I, I, I needed it for, I had too much loot. You know, that's the thing about Elder Scrolls games. Th- those are loot drops too. Those are loot fest games. Uh, so the story in there is very engaging and it's very fun to go around and, and do all the guild stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about what is my character wearing and what is my character able to do in the context of the story. So those are, to me, those are loot drop games. So I don't often do the DLC stuff, but modern games, like so the, the modern Assassin's Creed games, I do get the DLC from them because it's fun. It's just more plotting stuff to go through more. When Assassin's Creed Origins came out and they rebooted the whole series again, it was actually pretty well done. It was a little bit boring because there's a lot of the same thing over and over again, but the story was was fascinating. And it was massive. You were, you were in Egypt and, and 
it was like all these different parts of Egypt, and there was a lot of variability. It was a huge world. And then Assassin's Creed Odyssey is the same way, and Valhalla, I assume, is the same way. I haven't played it yet, waiting on it to come down in cost. So you're getting a lot of value for your money. So for me, I'm not willing to play a game that has very little value for your money. I'm not willing to invest in something that I'm not going to get a lot of enjoyment out of. And there's no way to know that up front. I can have a good idea that I will enjoy Assassin's Creed Valhalla because I enjoyed its predecessor, but maybe not. So I'm going to speculatively buy the game on sale when I can, knowing that I may hate this. They may have changed everything about it, but I probably would have read about that in the movie or in the news somewhere. You know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is nothing like its previous games and everybody hates it. Then I wouldn't buy it. I'm letting everybody else take the hit on buying a game and telling me, oh, this is great or that's terrible because I'm not spending time on something that I'm not getting my value for. I guess. So that's key for me. Any game I do, any time I spend, I don't want it to be wasted time. Even when I'm relaxing, I don't want to waste effort. So if I spend 30, I think I got Assassin's Creed Odyssey for $30 and I've played it for a lot of hours, just kind of casually, mindlessly going through the worlds. And I've gotten a lot of relaxation out of it. It was totally worth $30. Absolutely. You know, and the DLC I haven't even gotten to yet. So that that's kind of my approach to dlc i don't like the model but i also understand why also it used to be when you published a game you had one shot to publish it so you had to get it right now we update everything over the internet and i can remember when this kind of changed it was a big shift you got a console game and then you had to go and spend an hour downloading seven gigabytes of updates for it what the heck that's common now but back in 02 03 05 they were still publishing games and that was it you had the one shot Whatever came on the disc was it. And that actually came in handy because we had, you know, you were trying to crack Xbox to make it into Xbox Media Center. You needed a game that had a, a flaw in it or something. That kind of thing. So, but now it's, DLC is, is a product of us being always connected, always internet. And I guess that's just the way it is. There's still lots of games that are coming out, smaller indie titles or you know, small store games or, or website-based games. Like there was a, a, a Mist or a Riven knockoff kind of game that was in the browser only. It was really well done. And I didn't play it very long because I'd get bored with puzzle games like that. But that kind of modern approach, I think, is... is and it works great on Linux, too, because you don't have to download a binary or anything. You're just... It's all in the browser. As long as your browser, your JavaScript engine's doing the right thing, like if you're running Chromium, then it'll render just fine. So that's another thing we haven't even touched on, the fact that it's a lot of these games that I like the most, they played well under Linux. You know, how many of the games that you love or growing up loving, you loved because they could be played on Linux? Yeah, I don't think it really mattered to me. Mm. It was, I wanted to play the game, so if I had to play it in DOS, I was going to play it in DOS. Mm -hmm. If I could play it on Windows or Linux, then okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm agnostic in that. For me, the OS is a tool to get something done. Mm -hmm. And if that's gaming, then I'm going to use the tool needed to play the game I want. Mm -hmm. So I was, I went through a period in, in college and, I was running Linux full-time, and I was real adamant about that. I'm going to run Linux full-time. But I wanted a game. So I was, I was limited in what I could do. I, I remember getting very frustrated at the Wine Project for being... Like, it felt like they were making good progress, but not fast enough progress. And so it was always like I was watching it like a hawk. What was the next thing that was going to come out? Is my Diablo 2 game going to work better? Diablo 2 is one of the games that works pretty well in Linux. So I played it a lot. So uh, Half-Life worked pretty well in Linux, I think. Nowadays, it's, it's native. You know, that's one of the things I love that Valve has done, is they've made... Linux, a first-class gaming citizen for almost all of their titles. And they've strongly encouraged any of the games that are 
uh, being sold on Steam to be able to support it too. They're not going to turn a game away for not having it, but they're going to say, when's your Linux port coming out? And I like that because I think there's no reason not to do that anymore. And it opens up a lot of people that would like to move to Linux, but can't because they want a game and the experience we had. And we talked about that in an earlier episode. I wanted to move to Linux several times, but because I had a game I wanted to play in Windows, I didn't. Or yeah. I had the boat. I mean, Loki, Loki, Loki did a great job back in the day. Oh, gosh, yes, he did. Like, I, I have some Loki games back on my shelf. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the one Loki game that has always eluded me is, well, Alpha Centauri. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to find a box copy oh. of that one. Uh, which is upsetting to me. If you, the listener, if you have it and you want to sell it to me, please get in touch because <laughs> I want a boxed copy of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so to to kind of sum up everything, uh, for me, the reason I like older games and I think they're better is the things we've talked about: simple gameplay mechanic, replayability. Uh, they're mentally engaged with the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the value is there. There's no microtransactions because micro the microtransactions are evil. Um, and you know, it doesn't need to be connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. I can play offline on a system and not be online. Mm-hmm. The game will always work. I am not bound by, you know, my ISP being connected or something else, some server needing to be online. Mm-hmm. I can sit down and play what I want when I want mm-hmm. on my terms. Yep. And that's that's largely up until a couple of years ago. I was very adamant about that too. But it seems like a lot of modern games are always on, expected to be connected. So I compromised on that some. You know, I think it was the, the first one that I really was like, oh, okay, this one expects me to be online all the time. That was um, Watch Dogs. It was that hacking game. So that was really dumb at first because you know, having been Red Teamer before, I'm like, this is not how it works. But when you just kind of stop and turn your brain off and be like, okay, this isn't really hacking, but the mechanic is kind of fun. The game itself was fun, but it expected you to be always on. One of the things they did that I really didn't like at first was other players that were playing the game would be invited to invade your game and interrupt your gameplay even. They wouldn't do it if you were in the middle of a mission, but if you were just like wandering around in the world, sometimes you get a notice that there was a player hacking you. And that was really kind of a cool mechanic, but that only works if you're always on. I believe the first issue of the game, they tried to make it so that you could be offline, but they didn't bother with the Watch Dogs 2, or there's a third one that came out recently, or Legion, I think, has came out recently. They didn't bother with that. It's just you're always on, and you're always possible. It's always possible for you to be invaded unless you turn that mechanic off in uh, in settings. So you're always connected. And a lot of games are that way. They're, they're always connected, and I just, I guess I've embraced it. Not embraced it. I've gotten used to it. You know, I don't I don't mind because I'm always connected. My ISP is pretty solid and I don't really have that problem. Now, if I was living somewhere that cable internet was going down all the time, I would have a much different opinion. But my internet is solid enough that I don't mind that so much. And I don't tend to take a console with me when I'm traveling somewhere else that I may not have good internet. If I'm going to play something, I'll mess around on my phone or more likely I'll read a book. You know, books are very portable. They require no internet. You know, you don't even need power if you want to read during the day. Just go outside and use the sun, right? Require nothing. Just bring the book with you. So when I travel, that's what I do. I read. So are you going to wrap this up or are you just going to sit there and stare? I was like, who's going to crack first? Who's going to crack first? So we, we rambled for quite a long time about our preferences. And I'm curious what listeners would, uh, what preferences for games they have. And I'm sure that we have some gamers in our community 
seems like games are, are they cross boundaries and, and something that most people can get behind. Like, even if I don't know who this person is, odds are they've probably played, you know, some triple, you know, triple A title game, and we can find some kind of common ground on that or something. So games seem to go everywhere. Curious what kind of games our listeners like and why. So, uh, you know, let's uh, share with us in the uh, Telegram channel or send us an email or the Matrix channel. Those two are linked. The Matrix and the Telegram channel. And just let us know what you think, what you're playing, uh, what you have played, if you agree with us or if you don't. If you think we're completely barking up the wrong tree and we're both old fogies that need to get with the modern times, let us know. Yeah, and I would just like to end, uh, we haven't done it in a while, um, to remind people to be excellent to each other. 